one of the Sundays that we were gone, we were in the Brooklyn Tabernacle uh, for worship on a Sunday. And out of that, I reread a book that the pastor of that church, Jim Simbler, had written years ago. I reread the book again. And in the book, he tells a story. He says, Our oldest daughter, Chrissy, had been a model child growing up. But around age 16, she started to stray. I admit I was slow to notice this, and I was preoccupied with all that ministry entails. Meanwhile, Christy not, Christy not only drew away from us, but also away from God. In time, she left our home. There were many nights we had no idea where she was. As the situation grew more serious, I tried everything. I begged, I pleaded, I scolded, I argued. I tried to control her with money. And looking back, I realized and recognized the foolishness of my actions. Nothing worked. She just hardened more and more. Her boyfriend was everything we did not want for our child. While this was going on, we learned that Carol, this is his wife, Carol directs and leads the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. While this was going on, we learned Carol needed an operation, a hysterectomy. As she tried to adjust afterward, the devil took the opportunity to come after her and say, you might have this big choir, you're making all these albums and doing outreaches at Radio City Music Hall, fine. Just you and your husband go right ahead and reach the world for Christ, but I'm going to have your children. I've already got the first one and I'm coming for the next two. Like any mother who loves her children, Carol was smitten with tremendous fear and distress. Her family meant more to her than a choir. And one day she said, listen, we've got to leave New York. I'm serious. This atmosphere has already swallowed up our daughter. We cannot keep raising our kids here. If you want to stay, you can, but I'm getting the children and getting out. I said, Carol, we can't do that. We don't know what God has for us to do. Carol wasn't being rebellious. She was depressed after her surgery. She elected not to pack up and run after all, and it was at this low point that she went to the piano one day, and God gave her a song. And a song that has touched more people than perhaps anything else she has ever written. The name of the song is He's Been Faithful. The first part of the song, and maybe you've heard it before. In my moments of fear, through every pain, every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, he has proved faithful to me. Every word He promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I see my God do. Isn't that a great song? This morning I was pulling uh, welcome duty out here, outside the, the building and welcoming people in. And Judy Scott walked in. You notice Judy's got the next song here. And I'm not talking to Judy. Judy is walking in. I said, hey Judy, how you doing? I'm looking forward to you singing this morning. I said, by the way, what are you singing? She said, I'm singing that song, He's Been Faithful. And I can't tell you what happened in my heart. I just read about how He's Been Faithful. I just read it in this book. So I told Judy, I said, Judy, I've got to introduce your song. And she said, okay, thank you, Judy. Go ahead and get your position if you want to. But here's what we're going to do this morning. I, 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 I see what God has done in this family who is so honest and transparent about their difficulties. 
I recognize all that God's done in my life. I recognize all God's done in Judy's life. He's been there for you. And I know what God's done in your lives. So Judy's going to sing this song. And after she sings this song, Shirley's just going to keep on playing. And while Shirley's playing after Judy finishes that song, I'm going to lead in a prayer of thanksgiving for the faithfulness of God. I want to invite you to do something about it, perhaps. While the music keeps playing after Judy sings, and as I make my way up here to the pulpit, if you'd like to come forward and be a part of that prayer, I want to invite you to do so. It might be because you're giving just a, a, a visual testimony. He's been faithful to me. I just want to walk forward and share that, that, that just by being there, he's been faithful. And maybe, maybe you're going through that struggle right now, and you don't see where the answer is, and you don't know where God's at, and you're going through that difficulty, and you just want to come forward to be a part of that prayer, recognizing that though you may not see the answer now, you know God's still faithful. Judy, I'm so glad you're singing this song. Please sing. In my moments of fear, through every pain, Every tear, there's a God who's been faithful to me. When my strength was all gone, when my heart had no song, still in love, He's proved faithful to me. Every word he's promised is true. What I thought was impossible, I see my God do. He's been faithful, faithful to me. Looking back, His love and mercy I see. Though in my heart I have questioned, even failed to believe, yet He's been faithful, faithful to me. When my heart looked away, the many times I could not pray, still my God, He was faithful to me. The days I spent so selfishly, reaching out for what pleased me, even then, He's been faithful to me. Every time I come back to Him, He is waiting with open arms, and I see once again He's 
faithful to you anybody like to be a part of that prayer of faithfulness Lord thank you for being faithful to me Lord I'm I'm in a difficult spot right now and I don't know what's going to happen but I'm trusting that you're faithful I'm trusting you're faithful even when I don't see it I want to be part of that I want to I want just just testimony just to stand and and just let folks know that 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 I'm I'm just going to count on the faithfulness of God I can't do it myself but I'm going to depend and testify to the faithfulness of God. It may take a couple extra minutes. I think sometimes it's okay to take a couple extra minutes. Is that okay with y'all this morning? Just come on around this way if y'all would and, and just, just gather here around the front and, and we're going to just, we're going to pray together. You're welcome to just stay right where you are. If you need to just stay where you are, you can raise your hand at me. Let me know you can count on me. I'm, I'm praying for the same thing or just staying where you are. That's fine. Just make your way down here as, front, as, as far as you can and I tell you what, when you, get, when you get here, wherever you are, just grab somebody's hand. Just grab somebody's hand we're going to depend on and testify to the faithfulness of God. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness that goes beyond our ability to comprehend and to understand. I thank you, Lord, that in our limited abilities to reason and to see what's happening. Lord, you are at work. Sometimes it's, it's out front, we can all see it, but sometimes, Lord, it's behind the scenes and we have no idea what you're doing and how you're manipulating circumstances to accomplish your good and perfect will. I thank you, Lord, for people like Judy, who not only has a testimony of depending upon your faithfulness, but she's willing to share it in song with us today. I thank you, Lord, there are people like Carol Simbola who can take the experiences of, of the difficulties of life and put them into a song that can be sung that encourages people like me. I'll, I'll never sing that song. I'll never write that song. I'll never have that ability. But Lord, I can, I can take comfort in those words because they reflect your goodness, your glory, and your majesty. I thank you, Lord, that there are many who have gathered here on the stage and around the altar area 
as a silent testimony. Lord, they're saying by their actions, I am thankful for the faithfulness of God. And if we had time today, Lord, we could spend hours with this group of folks just talking about how you have been faithful to meet us in our circumstances. You've been faithful to meet us right where we are. You've been faithful to deliver us from the most difficult circumstances we could ever face. And we thank you for those testimonies. May we always look for opportunities to share them so that others may be encouraged and you might be glorified. Lord, this morning I want to pray. My heart goes out in prayer. I know specifically there are some standing here. Lord, they're going through the trials of life right now. Right now. And Lord, there are others. I don't know anything about their circumstances. And they're standing here as well right now, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing where the answer is going to come from, not knowing what's going forward. But they're standing here, Lord, with a great confidence in you. A confidence in you to be faithful to us, that just as you were faithful uh, from the time of Adam and Eve and faithful through the time of Moses and Isaiah, faithful to the time of King David and Solomon, faithful throughout the, the times of the Psalms and the Kings, faithful throughout the Gospels and through the Apostles, faithful through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, faithful through the founding of the church, faithful down through history, faithful up till this moment, and faithful into the future. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for your faithfulness. And we look forward to sharing by our physical testimony of simply standing and by a verbal testimony of your goodness to us. Make us thankful. But now, Lord, also make us watchful to see what you're going to do and how you're going to deliver that we might be faithful to praise you for it. As we pray in Jesus' name, as we all say together, amen and amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. God is a good God. Amen? Amen? He's a good God. He loves us and He cares about us. You know, one of the ways that God shows His love for us, and one of the ways that God demonstrates His care for us, is that He tells us in advance what's going to happen. Aren't you thankful He does that? He doesn't just put us out here and say, y'all go, go do the best you can. But He tells us exactly what's going to happen. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, God spoke to Adam and to Eve. And, and all throughout the, the Old Testament, we see God speaking and then things coming to pass. And even up to and, and His sending of the Lord Jesus to be our Savior. God, in advance, told people what was coming. Aren't you glad He does? And the Bible teaches that in our future, there's a certain end to things that is coming and because of that, the scripture asked this question, what sort of people ought we to be? Because there's a certain future coming, therefore what sort of people ought you and I to be as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ? For example, what sort of people ought we to be in school? What difference should our faith make when, 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 when we go to school? Uh, this past week, if you're on Facebook, 
Uh, you've seen all these, perhaps all these pictures from uh, church families here at Ridgecrest, uh, the first day of school pictures. Yeah, y'all seen some of those? They've been adorable. Let me show a couple of them to you if I can. Here, here's a picture uh, of uh, Corey and Carly O'Brien, uh, first day of first grade and the first day of middle school. Aren't they cute? And uh, they attend our 1045 service, so they'll be out there here in just a few minutes. So, so that, that's a, an adorable picture. Here's another one, uh, Parker and Amanda Wyckoff. Uh, first day, I think he's in, he's in uh, first grade too, and, and Amanda, I think, I think maybe uh, high school, 10th grade. I think that's the case. So isn't that adorable? Say, aww. <laughs> and then there's Will and Anna Keaton. They put, a, they put one up there. We've got everybody from kindergarten all the way up through college. Will's going to college, and Anna's going to first day of, of ninth grade, first day of high school. So, so these students are going to school. So here's the question. Knowing that there's a certain future coming for these students and many others, what sort of people should they be as followers of our Lord Jesus Christ? Then, there's, then there are those who are teachers. Uh, we've got teachers connected to Ridgecrest. We've got quite a few teachers in this church, and, and we've got a couple of brand-new teachers this year uh, for, out, at, out at Mangum Elementary School. For example, Kayla Roberts is a, is a new teacher out at Mangum, and uh, she's, there she is at her classroom. Uh, got her sign on the door, a big smile on her face as she's walking in, and, and uh, so that's exciting to see. Also, uh, out at Mangum as well is Lauren Swain, recent college graduate. She's teaching out there, and uh, uh, Linda Eaton and some of you that are retired teachers, doesn't it make you just, doesn't it just thrill your heart to know that the next generation is coming along, and uh, you've had the privilege and others have had the privilege of raising up these teachers. But the question remains, how should they then be? How ought they to be? at school as a student or as a teacher, knowing that there's a certain future coming down the way. Now let me ask this question. What sort of people should we be as we think about the holidays? You know, I uh, went to Costco. You been to Costco in last week? They've already got this, the holiday stuff out at Costco and Roses and every, everywhere else. And, and so the holidays are coming. And as we think about holidays, which really is a combination of two words, holy day, a holiday is really an observance of a holy day, a day set apart for God. And as we think about the holidays coming up, what sort of people ought we to be? I've got a, a, a buddy of mine who's a pastor. His name is Terry Larson. He's got some Ridgecrest connections from back in the day. But, but Terry put up a Facebook post. It's the next slide up there. Uh, let's put it up there. Here's what he put on Facebook. Is it too early to change ringtones to Christmas songs? He said, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> What sort of people should we be? It's good to go ahead and figure that out now in September so that when the holidays get here, we can be geared up to be the right kind of people. Not just caught up in the flow of the holiday, but really prepared for the holy day that God has given us. What about parents? What sort of people should we be as parents? I was reading in the USA Today just this past week a story uh, entitled, Parents Use Gadgets. And in that story, uh, there's a quote, and here's the quote. I hate to say it, Tim Kickmall wrote on Facebook, but we have three Amazon Alexas and two Amazon cameras. Now, if you know what a, a camera is, a camera you put in your house, and you can look on your computer screen or your phone, and you can see what's on the camera. That's a good thing, right? Okay, this means yes. <laughs> That's a good thing, right? And, and I don't have one of these Alexa gadgets yet. Maybe some of you. Anybody here have an Alexa at your house? One. Okay, Dewey does. 
So, okay, some over here too. So, so the way I understand it works is it's on all the time. Isn't that right, Dewey? All the time. And if you call the name Alexa and tell Alexa anything that you can do, it. you can hook her up to the run the dishwasher or cut the lights on or, uh, or, 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 or play a song on the Internet or ask a question. It'll look it up for you on the Internet and tell you. It's kind of scary, frankly, if you ask me. So anyway, Tim Kickmaw says this. We have three Amazon Alexas and two Amazon cameras. We use the Alexa as an intercom system to talk to the three boys from our bedroom. Oh, wait, Wendy, just wait. This gets better. Here's what he says now. He says, when we're really tired, we instruct Alexa to read a bedtime story to our kids. Now, some of you are thinking, that's terrible. And others are thinking, I'm going to have to get me one of those Alexas. I know how that is. And then he says, the cameras are to confirm that the boys are staying in their rooms at night. How big is this house? That's what I want to know. <laughs> What sort of people should we be as Christians? Knowing that there's a certain future out there, how should you and I be because of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, we're looking at, we started last week, and we'll go a couple more weeks, looking at a passage from 2 Peter chapter 3. Let me invite you to take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. That's what we're looking at uh, during these days. And our key verse is 2 Peter 3, 18, which says, Grow, continually grow, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see there on the screen. In fact, would you say that verse with me? But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a key verse in all of the Scripture because it reminds us to continually keep our focus on the Lord. And it goes on to say, To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, now, 2 Peter chapter 3, if you were to go back and read the entire chapter and study the entire chapter, you'll find that it was written to inform believers about the future so that believers might know how to act in the present. I love that God does that for us. He tells us what's going to happen in the future so that we'll know how to act in the present. And in fact, the coming events of the future should, should work to mold and shape our present perspective about our present circumstances. Our present circumstances should be molded and shaped by the fact that there is a certain future coming that God is going to take care of. And so, uh, so I want to invite you to stand with me this morning. I'm going to read a couple of verses from 2 Peter chapter 3. And we think about the question that is asked in this passage of Scripture. And the question is, because of the future... What sort of people ought we to be in the present? Listen to what he says, starting in verse number 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, I want you to read the last part with me on the bottom of the screen there. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now notice again the key verse here, verse 7. He says, since these things are true, since this is what's going to happen in the future, how should we be now in terms of holiness and in terms of godliness? He goes on to say in verse 12, 
waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, aren't you thankful for his promise? Amen. Amen. According to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our Heavenly Father, help us today to understand the perspective of your word. And may it impact our perspective on our present circumstances so that we might be your people in holiness and godliness as we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, so here, based on, on this passage of Scripture, there's three questions that I, I want to I look at. Three questions I want us to, to address. The, the first is found in verses 10 to 13, and that is, what sort of people ought we to be concerning the future? As we think about the future and what the Lord says about the future in the Scripture, what sort of people ought we to be? Now, people respond to the future in one of at least three ways. Maybe there's more, but at least three different ways people respond to the future. One is they ignore it. I don't want to know what's going to happen. Amen? Anybody here like that? I don't want to know. I saw two or three heads shaking. So, and and that's, that's fine. Some folks will say that. I don't want to know. I'm going to ignore the future. I'm having enough trouble with today. So some people just want to ignore it. Some people, on the other hand, want to pretend that there's a different future than what God says. God says the future will be this, and we'll talk about it in a second, but I'm going to say the future is going to be this. The future is going to last a certain amount of time. The future is going to bring a certain amount of things. There are some people that say the world is getting better and better and better as technology increases. There are some that say the, the world is getting less or worse and worse and worse as, as we go forward. But people sometimes simply pretend that the future is going to be something different than what God says. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to embrace what God says. And so the third way that people look at the future is to embrace it in a godly way, which means to understand what the Scripture says. What does the Bible say about the future, and therefore, what should it mean in my life? So, so we think about what sort of people ought we to be concerning the future. Believers are called to do three things right here in this passage of Scripture. Number one is to be aware. Number two is to be waiting. And number three is to be active. As we are going forward, thinking about the future, number one, we need to be aware of the future. What is the future going to hold? Now, I don't know who's going to win the NCAA football championship this year, except there's probably not going to be my Tar Heels. I, that's why I can make that prediction. <laughs> So, so I don't know, you know, we don't know what the immediate future will hold in any number of different ways, but ultimately we do know what the future holds. Here in verses 10 to 13, it says the day of the Lord is going to come and it will bring God's judgment on sin. And it will impact all people and it will impact all creation. That's what we know. It will be three things. It will be sudden. It says it will be like a thief. Suddenly, it will be here. We may know it's coming, but when it finally gets here, when it finally comes, it will be sudden. Secondly, it will be destructive. Notice what's going to happen. It says the heavens and all of space and the heavenly bodies, the planets, the stars, the moons, the comets, the black holes, whatever they are, and everything else out there is going to be dissolved. I don't know exactly what that means, but I do know that it means that God is going to dissolve it. And then it will be revealing because everything about sin... Everything about what's happened on the earth is going to be revealed. 
and it will be laid bare. And we need to be aware that that's coming. Secondly, we need to be waiting. There's two things we need to be waiting on. Number one, waiting on the coming day of judgment. Waiting in that we know it's coming, so therefore we're going to do something about it. But, but we're waiting, it says here, we're waiting on the coming uh, day of judgment and it will, because it will lead to the dissolving of everything that we now know, the heavens and the earth. We're waiting on it. But secondly, we're waiting on a new heaven and a new earth. That's what verse 13 says. You know, God announces his judgment, but then God also announces his deliverance. And he's consistent like that all throughout the scriptures. So we're waiting on a new heaven and a new earth. And it says two things about this in verse 13. Number one, it is brought by God. And number two, it is for the righteous. And the righteous are all of those who know God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is not the only place in the Bible where it talks about the future coming and God's judgment and the dissolving of the, of the uh, heavens and the earth. For example, in, in, if you were to go and read Matthew 24, you'll find that Jesus speaks, all of Matthew 24 deals with Jesus speaking about the end of time and about the coming judgment and all the things that are happening. And in verse 44 of Matthew 24, Jesus says, you must be ready because this day and hour is coming at, at a time that you don't expect. It's going to be sudden, like we've already read. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, as, as the missionary pastor Paul is writing to a church and he's commending them from where they've come from and where they are, and he says this in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians 1, You turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven. There's our, our word, waiting. To wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a wrath coming, but there's deliverance. That's the good news. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 refers to, to, to us assembling ourselves together and worshiping God and growing in our faith. And it says, all the more as you see the day, this coming day, the day of the Lord, you see it approaching. And so we need to be mindful uh, that there is a future coming and that we are called to be uh, a part of it. We're to be aware, be waiting, and thirdly, to be active. Verse 12 speaks about us, by what we do, hastening the coming day of the Lord. While, while we are faithful to follow the things God has given us to do, we're accomplishing His will, which must be accomplished before these things take place. And that's why it's so important that we recognize verses in the Bible like 2 Peter 3.18, which tell us to continually grow in the faith and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And remember, we're using that G-R-O-W as, as gather, renew, observe, and worship. That's what we're doing. And so we need to be mindful of that. Well, secondly, there's a second question. What sort of people ought we be concerning holiness? Concerning holiness. Holiness. Notice here in verse 11. You know, since, since the day of the Lord is coming, it's coming in the future, we're now called to be holy people. We're called to, to, to practice holiness as believers and followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let me give you a definition of holiness. There, there are different ones out there. The one I especially like is this. To be holy is, on one hand, to be set apart from the ordinary and to be set apart for the things of God. We're set apart from this world. We're set apart from sin. We're set apart from 
wickedness and evil. We're set apart from all the, thing that, all the things that encompass worldliness. We're called to step out from that and no longer be partakers of it, no longer be associated with it, no longer be those who are, are governed by a worldly mindset. We're called out from that and we're called out for the things of God. So, so now that I've stepped out of the world, I now can give myself for Christ. I can give myself to understanding the Scripture. I can give myself to growing in my faith and serving my Lord and worshiping with my whole heart. I can give myself for the things of God. Because, see, here's the thing. I can't do both. If I'm walking around in a worldly mindset and I'm doing the things of the world and I'm involved in the, in the things of the world, I don't have time to do things for God. And I don't have the ability to do things for God. It's like doing two different activities. If, if you're going to go swimming at the beach and you're going to go hiking in the mountains in the snow, you don't dress the same way, do you? If you're spending your time getting dressed to hike in the mountains, you're not going to wear that outfit down to the beach. You can't do both at the same time. And so we have to decide as believers and followers, are we going to engage in holiness, which means I've got to step away from worldliness and step out for godliness. I've got to, 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 to behave and to dress in certain ways and to act in certain ways as well. And so, so it impacts our outward behavior. It impacts the things about us that people can see. There have been some, and I don't want to, I don't want to ruffle anybody's feathers this morning. I want to make a point. I hope you'll hear the way I mean this. There have been those over the years, down through history, and even in our day today, that because of this call to holiness, they develop a list of things that must be followed about hairstyle or about dress or about behavior or about or any number of different topics that are not bad. If that's their personal conviction, that's fine. But then what, what has happened down through the years is there are those that have taken this list of things that they consider to be a list of marks of holiness and they have tried to enforce that on others, whether it's in their church or out in their community or any number of different ways. And what's happened is in trying to enforce an outward observance of holiness, they've neglected to focus on the importance of the heart because it's out of the heart that holiness comes. We act outwardly only how we are inwardly. And if all we ever do is try to, try to deal with people on outwardness, on their outward uh, behavior and dress and all the things that go with them, we'll never get to the heart of the matter. There'll never be a change of heart on the inside if all we can do is shape somebody up and get them to comb their hair a certain way and dress a certain way and act a certain way. If they're doing all of that because we're enforcing it, then they may do all those things and get a gold star, but if their heart doesn't change, it's all for nothing. Are you with me on that? So, so, so it's, it's understandable that there are those that would want to say, and I'm one of them, there are certain marks that ought to be there if you're going to be a holy person set apart from the world and set apart for God. But we have to be careful to make sure we're starting with a heart issue and let it flow outwardly from there to recognize that holiness is the result of salvation and the result of sanctification. Holiness comes outwardly because there's been a change in my heart inwardly. But do understand this. Holiness is outward. In fact, the Holman Bible Dictionary says, Holiness is spiritual purity, the goal of human moral character. Spiritual purity, outwardly, things that we can see. But that outwardness must come from a change on the inside. Now, the Bible speaks a lot about holiness. And, and I'm going to give you several references. And in fact, I've put them in your listening guide there. And, and the references, we need to understand the context of the references. I'm just going to be able to mention a few of these. 
In Exodus chapter 30, 22 and verse 31, God says, You are to be my holy people. Context. Moses, God had used Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of the idolatry. Over 400 years they'd been slaves there. And so when God calls them out, he says, listen, you are called out. You belong to me. You must therefore be holy, set apart from these worldly idolatrous things and set apart for the purposes of God. In Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, the people of God are called the holy people. And if you know anything about Daniel, Daniel is part of the captivity. They have been, the Israel have been defeated by the Babylonians, and, and many of the Israelites have been carried off into exile into Babylon, and Daniel is one of those. And so Daniel is writing to people who have been pulled out of their homeland, pulled away from the, the, their, their, their people and the worship of God, and now they're in this idolatrous nation, Babylon, and they are forced into to exile there. And, and Daniel is saying to them, even in your exile, you're still to be holy people for God. No matter what your circumstances, you are still called to be God's holy people. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 7, believers, it says, are loved by God and called to be His holy people. You think about the context of the book of Romans, written to Christians in the city of Rome. And if you know anything about Rome, there's the worship of Caesar. There's the worship of, of idols of all kinds. There, there's, there's all kinds of, of, of idolatry going on. And, and here we're reminded in that whatever our context, whatever the outward context uh, around us, we're called to outwardly live holy lives for our Savior. In Ephesians 4, uh, in fact, chapter 1, verse 4, He chose us, this is God, He chose us in Him, that's Christ, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. That's God's plan. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all of his holy ones. We're called to be blameless and holy, set apart. 1 Thessalonians 4.7, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Hebrews 12, 14, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Make every effort outwardly. Make sure that your life is such, is, is such that you are uh, identified as being set apart from the world and for the purposes of God. And listen to, to this, 1 Peter 2, 9. You, believers, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out or from darkness into or for His wonderful light. You've been called out and from. You've been called to and for. Therefore, you, we are to live as a holy nation. And notice here in, in 1 Peter 2.9, all these things about us are true, including being a holy nation. And then we see the purpose Notice on the screen there uh, the word that. All these things are true that you may declare the praises of him who called you out and called you for. In other words, think about this. We're called to holiness that we might offer praises with our life, with our testimony. It might be with a song like, like Judy shared this morning. 
It might be with a testimony of simply walking down to the front and lining up across here like so many of you did for our time of prayer. It might be by going out into your job or in your home or at your school or going Christmas shopping or whatever you're doing. But, but, it, but whatever the case is, outwardly, whatever your circumstances are, make sure that you're declaring the praises of the one who did what? Called you out of darkness and into his kingdom of light. That's who we are and who we're supposed to be. Third question, I'll have to be brief here. What sort of people ought we to be, thirdly, concerning godliness? This passage refers to the future, refers to holiness, and now refers to godliness. And so since the day of the Lord is coming, since, since the future is what it is, we're now called as followers of Christ to live lives that are godly lives. Godliness is, is uh, 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 a dedication to inward spiritual pursuit of God. It's an inward motivation that leads to our outward character. Oftentimes you'll see godliness and holiness mentioned together in Scripture because it is the holiness on the outside that takes place because of the godliness on the inside, which is our spiritual pursuit of God, our hunger for God, our thirst for God. And so the Holman Bible Dictionary describes or defines godliness as this, an attitude and a style of life, holiness and godliness together, that acknowledges God's claim on human life and seeks to live in accordance with God's will. So holiness and godliness... Is simply saying, Lord, I see your future, and I want to live and orient my life according to your will. Because just as we heard sung the song, he's been faithful. And just as he's faithful to the individual, he's faithful to the body of Christ. And just as he's faithful to, to tell in advance of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's also faithful to tell us in advance of the coming judgment on the world and how we can escape and, 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 and move forward into eternity knowing that our sins are forgiven. A couple of Bible verses that speak of godliness and, and a couple of themes that go along with it. One is uh, the theme of teaching. How one person can tell another person, one person can teach another. It could be in a connect group like maybe you've been to this morning or you're getting ready to go to after our worship service. But, but, but a time of teaching, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 3, it says that we're to, be teach, we're to offer teaching that accords with godliness. So it is possible not to become godly by listening to teaching, but to teach others about the pursuit of godliness. That's important. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, it says, train yourself for godliness. There's something that, that's, that's activity-oriented. We read the Bible. We, uh, we, we serve the Lord. We minister in certain ways. We do certain things and avoid other things. We do things so that we might train ourselves to be reflective of our Savior Jesus. And then thirdly, Titus 1, in verse 1, it speaks of knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Here we, talk, we see personal growth involved. There's teaching others and learning from others. There's doing things that, that can help us to grow in godliness. And then there's, there's acquiring knowledge of the truth that will help us with our pursuit of godliness. And so this inward pursuit, this godliness would say something like this. Whether, whether I'm a student or whether I'm a teacher or whether I'm Christmas shopping or whether I'm a parent, no matter what I do, I want to radiate my faith and allow people to see the God who lives inside of me. I was reading recently and throughout the book of Second Peter, 
And in chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, I got to one of those places in Scripture. There's a bunch of them. But I got to one of those places in Scripture in, uh, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, where I've just been dwelling and asking the Lord to show me and help me to understand and apply so that my life might be all that it is. And in those verses, it speaks of eight qualities that we are to pursue in order to be godly. And here are the eight qualities very briefly. Faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. These qualities help us to avoid the corruption of the world. They help us with holiness by helping us to step out from the world and for the, the cause of Christ. So these eight qualities are listed there. And then in verse 8 it says, If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things keep you from being ineffective, which means when you have them, they help you to be effective. Not unfruitful if you don't have them, but fruitful when you do have them. And so the Bible gives us all that we need for holiness and for godliness and for knowing what's coming in the future so that we might orient our lives appropriately. Aren't you thankful God gives us all these things? Now, I want to tell you as, as I kind of close here, and, and one is that living with the future end in view will certainly change our present perspective. If we know that there's a certain end coming, it will change the perspective that we live life with now to cause us to want to have holiness and godliness as priorities. It'll help us to, to, to know that in the future we're going to avoid the punishment that comes on the ungodly. Isn't that good news? We get to avoid the punishment coming to the ungodly, but that we also get to, to have the privilege to devote ourselves through holiness and godliness to things that are eternal, things that really matter. So much of what we spend so much time on really doesn't matter. But then listen, thirdly, it gives us the wonderful opportunity to tell other men and women, boys and girls, family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, teammates, and folks that we know about how they too can know this forgiveness of sin and how they too can know the, the, the eternal life that we have, how they too can pursue godliness and holiness. We have that opportunity. And one day when it comes like a thief and it's all over with, there will be many of us that will wish we had only told this person or that person and it will be too late. But so far today, it's not too late. There will be many that have heard the message before, and to this point, they've rejected it. And in that split-second moment in the future where it comes like a thief, and it's all over, and it's too late to make any decisions or changes, they're going to wish they had listened to me or to you or to somebody else that told them about Jesus. But it'll be too late. So we have the wonderful opportunity now, recognizing, as it says in 2 Peter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Aren't you thankful for His patience? Not wishing that any should perish. It is not God's plan, not, it is not God's will, it is not God's purpose that any person perish, but that all should reach repentance. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. And God uses you and I in holiness and godliness to impact those people for Christ. I want to ask you two questions. You see them at the bottom of your listening guide. Number one, what step of holiness will you take starting today? 
Is there something outward that needs to change or can change that you're willing, just between you and the Lord, don't tell me, don't necessarily tell your neighbor, don't tell anybody else, but between you and God, is there some outward step of holiness that you feel compelled to take? Maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe just now it's been revealed to you. Any number of different ways. Is there some step that you can, and this morning you would say between you and the Lord, Lord, I'm going to take this step of holiness, of, of pulling myself away from worldliness, and towards godliness. I had a man one time, years ago, Jerry, my previous church, he told me one Sunday, he said, Pastor, I'm going home this afternoon. I'm not watching NFL football for the first time in over two, two decades. I said, why are you doing that? He said, it's been pulling me away from time with God. I said, great. I'm glad I don't have that conviction, but you have that conviction. That's fine. <laughs> but understand his point. His point was exactly what I'm saying here. A step of holiness, a step of separation from things that would drag us away and towards things that would drag us to God. What step of holiness? And secondly, what step of godliness will you take starting now? An inward motivation, an inward step uh, to acquire knowledge, to acquire training, to acquire the things that will help us to be set apart outwardly. What will we pursue inwardly? And I would encourage you with this as we stand together. I'm going to pray for us and we're going to sing in just a moment. I want to encourage you to be holy and to be godly. Let's all stand together if we can. Be holy and to be godly. Number one, because all of this stuff, it's all going to burn. It's not my words. It's the scripture. And because all this stuff is going to burn, that means it's just temporary. And while we need to breathe and we need clothing and housing and air conditioning, praise the Lord, and all the things that go with it, we need those things and that's great. But understand, they're just temporary. Let's pursue the things that are eternal. And godliness and holiness will get us there. As we sing this great hymn of the faith, calling upon God to make us and to wash us whiter than snow, would you be mindful between you and the Lord right now to do business with God, a step of holiness, a step of godliness, to make a difference and an impact in your heart and in your life for His glory. As we sing, I'll be available here at the front. Be glad to speak to you. You come and meet me here. I'll be glad to pray with you and pray for you. But do business with God. That's the plan. That's the purpose. That's God's will for us today. Do business with Him. Bill, lead us as we sing.